Hello, friends. You're listening to Exit Point, a podcast about the advancement of base jumping and an exploration of its culture. I'm Laurent Fratt, producer and co-host. If you'd like to support this independent production, you can visit our Buy Me A Coffee link in the description and give us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. In this episode, I sit down with Matt Lajeunesse. Laj has been at the forefront of slider down base jumping for nearly 20 years. Along with his equally legendary wife, Katie Hansen, not only have they been community leaders supporting local base jumping, but also run a successful tandem base operation so they can share their passion with non-jumpers from around the world. I'm looking forward to hearing his thoughts on how to prepare for jumping in Moab, how to do turkey boogie right, and what it's like to run a base business, and some of the harder topics like love and loss. Matt is a thoughtful, empathetic person with a ton of experience, so this is bound to be a great conversation. So with that, let's get Laj on the track. I moved out of Moab, I think it was, yes, 2012. And I have a feeling that Moab's changed significantly since then. Moab has changed significantly since then, yes. Yeah, it's boomed in the last decade, just over a decade. Um, I don't even know how many uh, traffic lights are in this town anymore, but 10, which, I mean, once upon a time there was one. And hotels, several hotels every block. Busy season pretty much is spring through fall. Even the summer doesn't slow down too, too much anymore. Um, yeah, it's wild. And then certainly Moab base jumping has continued to take off and grow. And um, when you yeah, say grow, wild. you mean significant amounts of numbers, new numbers of people coming through or yeah. So like Turkey boogie, for example, is probably like the, the biggest time that everyone comes to jump, like the weather is the most stable. And that's just like the historic time that people that come want to come and jump. Back in the day, it was sort of like, I mean, back in the day, I mean, I'm not that old, but, um, <laughs> you know, there's people that would go and sort of like focused around Mary's Gash and Mineral Bottom. Mm -hmm. And yep. um, now I have a feeling that it's evolved tremendously, right? Because you guys have your raffle, you have your fundraiser, you have this enormous party. Um like if I was co to come back to Moab now to to do some slider down jumping, I would need a complete refresher about like how not to kook it. Uh, I, th the only thing I really remember is like, don't walk on the tufa, right? So <laughs> yeah, watch out for crypto. Yeah. <laughs> um, don't bust the crust. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, there's, there's a couple thoughts there. So once upon a time, Turkey Boogie was just that. It was Turkey Boogie. It was the week of Thanksgiving and we'd all rally out here and there'd be what? 30, 40 of us. Um, now Turkey Boogie is maybe 300 jumpers and then, you know, a handful of their friends. And plus simultaneously we have this uh, gobble gobble Highline Festival. So there's kind of two separate festivals with a lot of people that participate in both activities and we're all kind of friends. Um, so both events are happening at once. And um, usually the gatherings in Moab were maybe two, three times a year. And it was kind of someone sent out a message saying, Hey, let's all go to Moab this spring or this winter, or this fall. And we'd all pick a week and be there. Now it seems uh, when, I, when I think Darky Boogie, I think like for, from September until December 1st, it seems all fall. There's just always jumpers here. And uh, yeah, I mean, as the, as Moab has been more and more on people's radar and as base jumping has exploded, um, 
the season window is longer and the amount of jumpers flooding the area is significantly greater than when you and I were out here. Um, yeah. I remember the discussion about impact on the ecology, uh, the community, the community being the town of Moab, uh, search and rescue, all of those points, like being a point of discussion about how much more can they take, right? And now, yep. 10 plus years later, uh, it can take a lot more, it sounds like. Uh, but I don't think it's just alone. It's it, part of the fact that it's been able to sustain so much activity and traffic is because you guys as a community have taken steps to uh, ameliorate the situation, right? I like to think it's the steps that we've put into it, but I'm honestly surprised how much Moab has been able to handle, um, how much impact from base jumpers. Cause again, yeah, I mean, a decade plus ago, we were all worried like, oh, they're going to shut this down eventually for sure. Yeah. You know, it seems that what, what we do is so off the radar of most people in our own little world. It feels like we have such a big impact. <laughs> most people don't even know we're here. Um, yeah, sure. There's, a significant or uh, uh, noteworthy rescue pretty much every year. And that's always the time that we all panic and freak out. And no doubt I sound the alarm and probably been the one saying, Hey, this is not sustainable. I've been probably screaming that the loudest, the longest. Um, and I think in some way someone has to say that because even if you can, you want to be on the safe side of things, right? Like, Hey, let's keep in mind at any point they can pull this from us. They can shut us down. Jumpers don't like to believe that. They like to say, oh, you know, they can't guard all the cliffs. True. But, you know, who wants to get hung up on a wall, break their femur, and then also get a ticket? Um, you know, uh, it just seems like there's ways that we can do it. There's healthy ways to have a relationship with Moab versus um, that renegade, renegade style of jumping, which just doesn't seem to work here. I think renegade jumping has its time and place, right? Um, mostly in the shadows, in urban environments. It's really nice to go out in nature, enjoy that nature, and then be able to like pack, you know, on a lawn at a park without having to worry about police. Absolutely. That's one of the fun things about Moab is that you can simply enjoy where you are. Even on a windy day, you can, who doesn't like sitting on the edge of a canyon and just staring in awe? Um, or, you know, perfect day you can, yep, pack next to 10 of your friends in a park in grass and consider one of the hundreds of jumps that you have, you know, in your backyard. So back then too, uh, it was all word of mouth really. Uh, you know, like I would ask Diego and I would ask Rich Webb, like, Hey, I've never been to enterprise or, you know, um, uh, lollipop or something. And, uh, they would take me out there there wasn't any guide or anything like that in France, in particular in Europe in general, you know, now we have all sorts of different resources uh, like base beta, et cetera. Um, are people using applications or websites like base beta to find exit points in Moab? Definitely. I'm not super fluent in it. Maybe I've been here too long. Maybe I don't care as much about checking off every single exit. Um, but yeah, definitely there's a number of people. Taz has been working on the Moab base association stuff and then they're constantly adding new, uh, exits and there's, yeah, a number of the apps that, um, I hear about a handful of times a year. Someone will hit me up and say, Hey, I have this beta. 
I'm mostly oblivious to it. Uh, you know, again, not being in the wingsuiting scene, it doesn't really make a difference. I'm pretty comfortable walking around Moab and figuring out if it's a good idea or a bad idea at this point. Mm. Um, also, uh, oh, like I said, a lot less motivated about checking off every single jump, but there are definitely a lot of guys out here, um, just constantly, um, exploring new areas and finding new things and keeping it interesting for themselves and the rest of the base community. There's no end to new jumps in Moab. We've always said that, and it still feels the same. Yeah. I mean, at a certain point, it can be ridiculous, right? Like uh, someone will take a couple of steps to the side and uh, boom, new exit just opened it. I have been on those loads. <laughs> like we just disconnected an anchor from 10 feet. What do you mean we're opening this? Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. So let's continue on this theme a little bit, if you don't mind, because uh, it's nice to help people uh, who are listening to, you know, who are probably going to be listening to this in their car on their way to Moab. Um, so let's, let's see, let's, let's try to think of some other things that really help out when you have been here or coming for the first time. I, you know, I remember like we were involved in a rescue for one of our jumping buddies <laughs> and we were. Um, we were in a group of people that included world-class climbers uh, people that were a part of first responding, you know, units and someone hit a wall, landed on upon a pillar and we all just sort of let what, uh, okay, what do we do now? And, um, <laughs> that was quite an experience. I mean, um, I think things have changed a little bit for both of us now, but, um, is it, would, would it be fair to say that it's a really good idea to have like a plan A if something goes wrong that you can like self-extricate, uh, meaning like have some ropes and, and, and know how to uh, get out of a situation if you're hung up on a wall? I mean, absolutely. If you can self-rescue, self-rescue. Um, I think we romanticize that idea sometimes some of us show up with a rope and a harness and think we're gonna be like all right sweet we're sorted now absolutely not like um sure maybe you can secure that person maybe you can rescue that person maybe that person's bleeding out internally and you don't have a clue what's happening um so i'd say bare minimum have a a way of getting help um and usually that's an in-reach spot some type of emergency beacon right um when shit hits the fan um yeah, have a way of turning off the fan. Um, so yeah, for me, it's some method of sending for help. Um, hopefully the skills to stabilize, um, a situation, um, or having, you know, knowing who your point of contact is, who is the climber, who is the med person. Um, don't, don't start considering rescues when your friend is on the wall. I think you and I both, uh, yeah, got a healthy dose of that. And I don't know what year that was, 2011 or 10 or whatever, but, um, yeah, it, there's no worse feeling than when someone needs help and none of you have a goddamn clue what to do. So, um, yeah, I'd, I'd say think through what you're going to do in worst case scenario, um, have radios, have an in reach, have a spot, whatever it is, have someone that can, set up a rescue in the event that your friend just got hung up and they're just sitting on a ledge and we're all going to tease them about it over beers later that night. Um, know who the, the medical guy is on your team or in your area. And, um, yeah, have a plan in place. 
if you don't have a plan in place, you're kind of coming out here just hoping for the best. And Moab is, has <laughs> proven repeatedly this is not the place for that. Um, it gets, it gets so, yeah. cold. I mean, these rescues take a really long time. I'm so glad you brought that um, up. Sorry, um, that like our the rescue for our buddy um, took, I think, seven hours, something that was preposterous. Yep. Like, yep. You know, you think, okay, someone's hung up on the wall just over the ledge. All they need to do is like sling a rope around the truck and then, you know, grab them and come back up. But man, I mean, it's so much more involved that, uh, you know, most people don't think of. Um, I mean, you and I were both involved with uh, search and rescue and uh, rescue services. So we, we knew a little bit, but um, I mean, maybe you weren't even involved in that kind of stuff at that point. I had zero background. Yeah. They, 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 they drilled holes for anchors in two different locations. Um, You know, these big holes and climbing isn't rescuing, right? Like climbing, you have like a, a, a way of lowering and a way of ascending that's way more laid back. And there isn't a, a backup to the backup like you have in rescue um, uh, operations. So it took a long, long time. And I'm, I'm sure that they would have expedited the situation a little bit more if he was in really serious, dire condition and bleeding out on the side. But what if they were doing another rescue, like right down the cliff, like that would have just been it, right? Like it would just, we, that would have been, not only would it have been seven hours, it would have been maybe the next day, if that. I've been on those rescues too. Um, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, it doesn't seem that their procedures change much based on the severity of the rescue. At the end of the day, putting more people at risk to save one person doesn't make a lot of sense, right? Like losing three people uh, worst case scenario is not going to make up for that one person that put themselves in the situation. So no, they're usually uh, focused on safety and being redundant with safety. Um, so yeah, I think people come out here and I've seen it also in, in recent years at Turkey Boogie where someone, you know, breaks themselves up. And I remember hearing on a radio call in the bird. And I think people thought it was like this <laughs> emergency like just, I don't know, they've seen it in a movie or maybe, you know, Lauterbrunnen, and that's kind of what happens, right? They'll get their helicopters anywhere and they'll long line someone out. That is not the way the helicopters work here. And as you already kind of alluded to, rescues here take a long time just to get them to figure out where we are and then actually travel out to us is going to take hours, hours, um, which I think this topic all started by something you said, which is it gets cold out here. Um Turkey Boogie, the last number of years, in my opinion, has been super mild. We've had uh, days that are in the 70s, 60s. People are walking around in t-shirts. It's been perfect jumping. For sure, there's been a couple days of snow here and there, and the nights dropped down to freezing. But I think you and I both remember some Turkey Boogies that were down. I know I've been to one or two that there were nights that went to zero degrees. And um, that's always my biggest fear. We always like to get off that one more jump at the end of the day, one more off tombstone or one more, like after your epic day in mineral bottom, let's, let's get our fifth jump. What's going to happen when you hit that wall and you're stuck on that wall? Totally. Okay. You're just hung, hung up on a wall. You're now up there for hours in a t-shirt and I see it every year and I'm just like, Oh man, that's going to be a terrible way to go. And, uh, I mean, it didn't happen here in Moab, but there was a number of years ago, someone died just from the temperature up in twin falls. I'm not sure if you remember that they couldn't find their way out. I don't jumped in the, yeah, jumped, uh, jumped in the middle of the night and then couldn't find his way out. And, uh, yeah, he just succumbed to the elements, elements, the temperatures. Yep. Correct. And, uh, I mean, talk about 
helpless, right? Like, man. So anyway, I, this year I'm seeing that the the high temperatures are looking like they're going to be somewhere around the 50s and uh, quite a few nights in the 20s. So like jumpers, definitely uh, end of the day, last few jumps. Keep in mind. Don't forget to wear your jacket. You know, it could turn. <laughs> yep. Whether, whether you're jumping or rescuing someone, it can get real cold real quick here in the high desert. So I'm glad you brought up temperatures. Um, other things like that come to mind for me, most simple things. Um, we don't even think about them usually, but these are the things that piss off the community or piss off the authorities, BLM, um, congregations. Anytime you see hundred of your homies around, it's awesome. You're having a time of your life. Congregations are one thing that kind of, um, it puts us, it, it makes BLM notice us. So avoid massive congregations. And if you can't avoid them, certainly don't be obnoxious. Don't have a campfire in the middle of a parking lot. Don't have your packing tarp in the middle of a parking lot. There's a lot of other people that are not base jumpers that don't understand why there's someone packing a parachute behind their car. And now you can't move for an hour. Um, they hate when we have packing tarps in the middle of the, the parking lots. Um, don't drive off the roads. That's a big one. Um, something that we've definitely struggled with in the last number of years. It's some of the most epic spots, uh, dragon's nest, the Fisher towers in general, Perry up Mesa, um, is human waste to TP. I, I went out to Perry up Mesa, I think two years ago, and there was just toilet paper all over and, uh, everyone drinks their coffee on their drive out, gets there before their hike and nature calls. Um, yeah, those, those are the few topics that every year BLM brings up to us. Stay on the roads, clean up your waste, avoid congregations, and don't park in the middle of, uh, of the parking lots. So if you don't want to be that guy, um, just do those simple things. What do you do with TP or human waste when you are going towards the exit? Put it in your buddy's stash bag. <laughs> um truly if i'm going to i mean i mean i live here so i'm pretty good at figuring out where the bathrooms are at this point there's outhouses yeah but you remember when you were like first jumping like you know you're all excited and you take a dump and then you start thinking about the jump the closer you get to it and all of a sudden it's you got to take another one for sure yeah no doubt Uh, i think uh yeah adrenaline is brown is something i've heard miles say a number of times (laughs) (laughs) um you know, that's, that's one of those moments you got to figure out what's best, right? Like I don't have a, you know, we can come up with these situations where it's like, I don't have a wag bag. I don't have a lighter. I don't even have TP. Okay. You know, at some point you're going to have to you figure savage. it out. Don't leave. Yeah. <laughs> so don't ever touch figure your left out, hand but... is what you're saying. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you ever see me missing one sock, know where it went. <laughs> it's somewhere behind Tombstone. No, I mean, yeah, just don't leave that stuff. Um, figure it out. Yeah. figure it out uh, it will, uh, every year um to, uh, moab locals have started doing a good job picking up under exits uh, so under tombstone under g-spot under mary's gash and uh every year someone finds a pair of under just <laughs> has a big old dookie in it and you know like it's just yep just abandon the underwear not the best procedure but like it sounds so silly but people are doing it. So try to avoid being that guy, hold it, uh, or pack it out. Noted. Don't shit your pants. Yeah. Okay. You heard it here. Shit the Rio. Man, you know, it's funny. Like you would think that you don't even need to tell people this, but, um, yeah, it's true that TP, especially here in Chamonix, um, like 
you just go on, the, on a trail and you're like enjoying this beautiful weather and looking up at the mountains and then you know like then there's toilet paper on the ground it's just like what the yeah fuck? yeah it's weird and especially out here in the desert i mean it stands out um yeah it stands out like white on we'll red be there for a long time yep um do you carry like a medical kit when you go jumping i do um yep what do you have in yep. that kit I've got, uh, I ordered a pretty good trauma kit. Um, I'd say half the stuff in there, I'm not even confident I would use. Um, but I have been in situations where there were people that said, oh man, I sure wish I had a you know, decompression needle. And if I can look at that person and say, like, hey man, in my car, I've got a full on trauma kit. So that's what I've had. Uh, uh, that's what I've got. Um, and there are a number of uh, highly qualified people around the Moab scene that um were you on that scene last uh a number of years ago when uh we're leaving names out of the rescued the, where there was <laughs> a chest was de- theme? decompression yeah yeah yep, there, yeah correct were you there for I that wasn't there um but All i right. heard about it like Spence right needle, away decomped. yeah like and that, yeah yeah needle decompression saved him so yep absolutely. american wingsuiting so, would be a whole lot different if that hadn't happened that is for sure yep that was one of the wildest things I've ever seen. Um, but anyway, I mean, so things as advanced as that to, I mean, it's pretty simple what you need sometimes, right? Like tourniquet, splints, um, pretty basic stuff, emergency blankets, headlamps. Uh, it sounds so silly, but I also keep uh, just snacks in my emergency bag. I keep uh, extra clothing in it. Um, yeah. What else is in there right now? You've got your first aid stuff, but then you got your stuff. If you're on a rescue for over the night, which again, I've been on those and we're all looking at each other like, man, I would do anything for food right now yeah. or a jacket or a headlamp. Um, just fill up your, fill up a, an emergency bag with stuff that you hope you don't need, but you sure will be appreciative for, uh, you know, that once a year that, that you do need it. Yeah, I've been out on some of those long missions and like finding a, a smashed up like power bar. Uh, that's like the thing that I can think of now with, you know, disgusting trail food. But then you get into a situation like that and it's, oh, it's just the most delicious thing ever. That's so funny you say that. Uh, one of the accidents we had out here last year, it was a long and gruesome one. And uh, search and rescue seemed to be kind of keeping their safe space from us that we were kind of working with them the best we could, the most they would allow. Um, we're doing our best to kind of ease the situation. And, um, this, this call was recover recovery, not rescue. And, uh, it had been long. And anyway, we weren't really winning sorrow over. And all of a sudden I opened up a little pocket and realized I had a bunch of snacks in there and they were mostly candies. That was all Katie. She's more candy person. Anyway, I pulled out a handful of candy and kind of laughed about it thinking, man, this is so my wife. And then the whole SAR team was just eyeing it up so hard, so aggressively. Like, Hey man, how about that candy? And that's how we won them over. So if nothing else, you'll uh, make friends with SAR candy. If you give them snacks. Yeah. I don't know how much engaged you are with new jumpers, but do you have like sort of a rule of thumb about like when people are ready? Like, is it after like their second year? Is it after about a hundred oh, jumps man. at the bridge or, you know, like this is like the questions I get on the wingsuiting side of things. I'm wondering yep. like, what is it with, I love the way you asked the question. Most people ask, 
how many jumps do I need to come to Moab? And I think you're setting yourself up for failure, right? Because if you tell yourself you need to do 30 jumps, 80 jumps, 200 jumps, you think something's going to click when you hit that number, when you approach that number or surpass that number. Nope. It's a matter of the mind. It's a matter of the person, right? Like if you're self-aware, you'll know when you're ready. Unfortunately, a lot of jumpers really struggle with being self-aware. How realistic can you be with yourself about what you've done to prepare yourself? That's the name of the game. Um, so there's not a set number. It's how much have you, how much thought, how much time, how much action have you put into preparing for Moab? What I, again, I think I'm, maybe I'm old and, um, scared and both of those are true. Um, you want to have, um, put in more effort than, most people want to believe. I think Moab's a uh, a dangerous place for jumping. Sure, thousands of jumps happen every year, every year here. Um, but um, it, in the words of Jesse Hall, the funny thing about rock is it's mostly made of rock. Um, it hurts. Moab hurts. Um, when everything goes great, time of your life. When everything goes wrong, it's violent. It's brutal. It's uncomfortable. Um, every year, I see people that come out here they say they're not going to jump and then their buddy tells them oh come on let's get you your first e let's get you let's get you your cliff and sure enough just by being here just by proxy they are on the edge of a cliff doing what they said they weren't going to do what they damn well know they're not prepared to do um i think i'm kind of talking around your question is which is like you know how do you know when you're ready and it's it's pretty personal there there's you know, it comes down to self-awareness. And if, if you're sure you put in the work, if you're sure you're prepared yourself, if you know, um, that, that you've done it awesome. If you're trying to convince yourself or your friends are trying to convince you, you're not ready. Um, I like that you said self-awareness there too. We talk a lot about that. And, uh, one of the things that the amount of self-awareness that I lacked was, I kind of saw base jumping as a sprint at the beginning because I was so obsessive about it. Everything was about jumping. Uh, I thought, you know, okay, this weekend I'm going to go skydiving. I'm going to do 10 jumps, you know, over the weekend and it's going to get me that much closer towards wingsuit time. And then I'm going to go and do some power towers. I'll probably be able to do two or four, um, jumps from the power tower. And then, um, you know, everything just seemed like so important right away. And, um, you know, talking to you and seeing how long you've been in the sport now, and, and I guess me too, um, it seems more like an endurance activity, right? Like thinking about enduring this long process. Um, I, I mean, I, we can't emphasize it enough, right? Like, it just becomes more and more fun later on down the road. And the more time we're willing to put into training and uh, being satisfied with these little small steps, the better our skill set becomes, the better the activity becomes, the more confident we are. And um, yeah, so it's interesting that, that, that um, how it changes over the years, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, God damn. Can you imagine me talking, me now talking to me, me a decade ago? I, I mean, two <laughs> totally different characters. I was fearless. Uh, yes. Yeah, so eager to check off every style of jump I could figure out. And 
absolutely obnoxious. <laughs> and, uh, and now I, I like to think I've, yeah, <laughs> a lot has changed is what I will say. Uh, and you're right. The, the longer you stick around, the more you just enjoy jumpers, jumping, being outdoors, you realize like checking everything off simply doesn't matter. Um, being happy matters. And, um, yeah, putting your, your life at risk is not going to, you're not going to achieve anything by putting more chips on the table. I think jumpers like to, there's this weird notion that the more fearless you are, the more chips you're willing to put on the table, so to speak, the more badass you are. I feel like jumpers that have been around a while kind of (laughs) raise their eyebrow and just look at you like, man, you're, you're simply risking everything for nothing. Um, yeah, take your time, have fun. And, uh, yeah, it's base jumping. You you should be doing it for personal reasons, not for achieving any level of acceptance or, uh, peer approval. Back to your rowdy days, like right away, I, what came to mind was, um, it, I'm not going to tell one of the stories. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Good, because I think my mother-in-law is going to listen to this. <laughs> um, there was like, as a three-way on Wall Street and... Uh, that means something else. Yeah. <laughs> that means three, three jumpers. jumpers. <laughs> Mother-in-law, we're talking about base jumping. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think you you did like a barrel roll. Um God, I want to say it was Charlie and Chris that I can't even remember his last name. And you guys all landed. I could be getting the jumpers wrong here, but you guys all landed. And it was just like huge eyes. Everyone like didn't really talk. And it was. (laughs) Do you remember that jump even? Um, was it, uh, yes, I do. I think, um, I almost went through the top skin of Sean Dunlap's parachute. Okay. Is that the one you're talking Man, about? Sean. Okay. I pulled my, my feet bad, up Sean. over the nose of his parachute. Right. Um, yeah, we had done a two way and we left at the right time, but he was standing at a position where he's lower than me. So he, although he was the high man, he exited and was just below me anyway. Yeah. He deployed. I remember it was a double barrel roll. I came around and just saw parachute and he, of course he had a 90 right into me and i tucked my feet and went by him and i do remember that those were very much yeah the days when one person did an aerial and you thought well i've got a one up that (laughs) (laughs) which is about the most idiotic way of base jumping but i don't know maybe it's a phase also is um is Um, this time of year um a lot is it high traffic season for uh tandem base jumping um we slowed down a bit um, October was pretty good. Yeah, we were pretty busy in October. We just wrapped up. Last weekend was a sprint. We did a 22 jumps event. That was pretty cool. So we had a bunch of veterans out here, um, jumped with them, and then took them on a bunch of other Moab adventures. Usually 22 jumps works with um, experienced jumpers that are also veterans. This was an event that was for non-jumpers that are veterans. And um, that, that was pretty cool. Um, anytime busy season in Moab is... Um, spring and fall. Um, so we'll, you know, of course be busy when town's busy. Um, a lot of the people that come here for tandem base jumping, um, come here because of social media, they see something and they get their mind set on it and they're like, Oh, I need to go do that. So the people that do that often don't really follow the, um, tourism season. They're just trying to check off their bucket list experience. Um, I met one of those guys recently. Uh, he had, 
was planning to do a tandem base jump and um, LeBlanc and Marine um, called me up and said, hey, we need a camera guy to film our tandem wingsuit operation uh, like in a couple yeah. of days. And I roll up and there's this guy there, um, you know, his teeth were so white. It was like clear instantly that he's American and um, that, yeah. And he was like super fired up. Long story short, such a cool experience following them in the sky, like just an awesome operation that they're running. The passengers have a time in their life and we landed and he was stoked and we were just, you know, carried on a little bit of chit chat. And he said, oh, yeah, I'm talking to this guy, Matt, and we're going to do a tandem base jump. And I was like, oh, no way. This world is so small. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I know exactly who you mean. And he was such a good dude. He uh, went from you guys and then a week or two later was in Moab. And yeah, he did three tandems with us oh, three. in cool. uh, 24 hours. Amazing. Yeah. And then I think I forget what he's, I think he had already gone wing walking, or maybe he was going wing walking next. And then he was going shark diving, and yeah, he's all over the place. But what a what a fun dude to make friends with, and yeah, it was pretty cool. You know what's something yeah, that uh, really stuck out in my mind about him is that he said right away with like no reservations that he was like, yeah, I'm not really the guy to do it by myself. So, um, and he didn't care. He wasn't like, oh, you know. I think some of us who participate are so like independent thinking that we're like, of course, I'm going to go learn how to do it by myself. But he was like, no, this sounds fun. I'm going to go connect with somebody that's a professional and I'm going to jump off a cliff and boom, move on. And I was like, wow, that's pretty freaking rad. I agree. It seemed a little um, not on the path that most of us, but we all, most of us are on, but most of us, yeah, we get so hyper-focused on our objectives that we keep hold that course it was pretty cool that he was the opposite and very comfortable with it like you said but then just willing to go check off a thousand other experiences that i'll probably never do because i'm so focused on the handful of experiences i do love uh yeah he was an interesting character that uh yeah i'm super glad i met and yeah it was pretty cool to see him out there in france tandem wingsuiting and then you know two weeks later in moab tandem base jumping yeah. Um, I mean, you brought up earlier, like, can you imagine me talking to my 10 year <laughs> younger self? Do you think that back then you ever thought that you'd be living in Moab running a tandem operation? Hmm. I don't even know if a tandem right. base jump had been done at that point. 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, Mario. That's right. They started doing um, tandem base jumps back then. Yeah. When I was living. Yeah. There. He was right. around 2011. Um, I've tried to figure yeah. out his actual first jump. It was 2010 or 2011 here in Moab. Chum has been doing them out here, kind of dabbling them with dabbling in them ever since. Um, but it, it's funny. Okay. So Mario, I remember jumping with him. I remember seeing him and I remember thinking like, Man, I, first of all, forget tandems. I thought that guy was like the blueprint for being the right jumper, a, a base yeah. jumper, right? You know, he he was a role model in a lot of ways, from uh, canopy skills to opening exits to the way he carried himself. Um, yeah, he was just a role model to me, and I specifically remember thinking, "Man, that's incredible! That guy's doing tandems. I'll never be, I'll never be that guy." And um, I was, I, ever since I got my tandem rating and. 2009 or 2010 i forget it was right around the same time he started jumping um it was always like a distant goal but something i was always flirting with and over the years uh, in 2014 i started playing with the permit process 2017 the insurance process and there was one or two things that kind of slowed me down and um 
anyway, I just decided like it was time. Do I think I know? I mean, there's no way I could have. First, there was two parts to your question. One is, did I ever see myself living in Moab? And no, I avoided living in Moab for a number of reasons um, for a long time. So, uh, but it kept bringing me back and I kept spending more and more time here. So the Moab box is checked and, um, tandems from where I sit now, oddly enough, it's the thing that makes the most sense for me and for my life. I mean, this is, this is the, the rabbit hole I went down, not just tandems, but base jumping. Um, and I think my background from being a school teacher, being just a rowdy character, brief stint at the fire department, just background with a lot of fundraising and summer camps and working with community and large populations of the community. Um, I think that helped me excel with tandems um, because I kind of get to know where people are coming from and I get to know how they operate under stress. I've also got about 10,000 tandem skydives, learned a thing or two in that time. And that doesn't just mean about parachutes. I think the most important part, like parachutes, anyone can figure out, but understanding like the psyche of someone sitting in the lap of a stranger experiencing 10 out of 10 fear, knowing how you're going to, which hat you're going to wear with each person. I think that's the part that a lot of people struggle with. And, um, that's the part that I'm yeah, figuring out how I'm going to work with each person. That is the part that I cherish. That is, I mean, yeah. Helping people go from, this is a bad idea. I don't know why I signed up for this. Um, to, you know, pounding their chest in the landing area, watching them like shed happy tears and scream. I'm the fucking man. That is, that is this, that's, that's what, um, simply awesome. Yeah, makes it fun for me. Yeah. Yeah. It really shows in your social media presence. Like it, the passenger is really put forward as, uh, the star of the show. And, um, I think it's also the way that you talk to them at the edge I really enjoy some of those videos. You know, if you go to your page and and you look, it, it all kind of looks the same, right? It's like someone standing behind someone else at the edge of a cliff, or there's a big, uh, you know, uh, tandem based Moab um, canopy, and and but you really have this way of engaging with the passenger that's uh, pretty special. And I think that a lot of people uh, who idealize being, uh, whether it be uh, tandem skydiver, paraglider, even uh, a mountain guide. I think a lot of people get into it thinking, okay, I love the mountains. I'm going to be a mountain guide. And, you know, being in Chamonix, for example, that's the example that I have can relate to is like, just because you love the mountains doesn't mean that you're going to do a good job or enjoy your life taking people into the mountains under high risk situations. Like I remember sitting, going, approaching the Guida Midi and just like that, a woman, like you said, 10 out of 10 fear, doesn't know where the, the, the tandem paragliding instructor is. You know, he's kind of snickering because he knows this, that where she's looking for and, and he kind of like calls her over. He doesn't even stand up and uh, they're just like, he's like continuing to smoke a little hand rolled cigarette and it, it wasn't at all the ideal situation that I would want for a family member or someone, you know, I want somebody who's like you, who's enjoys vicariously the experience that the passengers are getting. And so, I mean, obviously that goes without saying, but then also like highly trained and seasoned parachuting. The, the one thing that I 
don't quite understand, maybe you can help me understand is like, what can go wrong? What are the things that experience will help negate when someone who is new to base jumping thinks that, oh, it's just a static line base jump, you know, they always go on heading. Yeah, definitely don't think that. Uh, certainly for your own safety, but um, definitely not if you're considering tandems. Um, so what can go wrong? Um, I mean, the obvious, right? Um, rigging. Um, there's a number of things like our deployment system is super simple until it's fatal. <laughs> if you mess that up uh, in any way, um, it will be an immediate uh, double fatality. So um, make sure that you get that right every time. And okay. And then, yeah, all the things you need skill for, but what that person is going to introduce to the experience is unknowns, right? They're going to ask you questions. They're going to have anxiety. They are going to not intentionally, they are going to unintentionally do everything they can to distract you from the obvious. Hmm. And the second that you give up that required attention to detail, um, you introduce a world of chaos. Um, and uh, it sounds so silly, and I'm sure a lot of young jumpers think, oh, yeah, but that wouldn't happen to me. No, it happens to all of us, right? We all get distracted. Um, you need to be able to operate in a way that um, you can, you know how to immediately respond to whatever that passenger is experiencing, but also uh, achieve the super simple goals. Um, what can go wrong? I mean, I think the most obvious, yeah, again, deployment, 180. Uh, the parachute opens the wrong direction, um, the wing loading, and uh, yeah, it, it's go that will be a that'll be a, a rough situation. Um, I've heard what a number of people are saying will happen. The reality is the wing loading of the parachute and two bodies with a line twist is going to be a disaster. Um, and um, yeah, and then from there, it's 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 landings. Um, I mean, it's pretty much the same as any other base jump, just, um, a lot heavier. <laughs> it, yep. It, a lot heavier. And, um, the, your ability to respond, um, is, is going to change. Um, there, there's a lot, there is a lot. We, I treat it more like tandem skydiving and I laugh at a lot of, uh, skydiving stuff, but, um, I like to debrief everything. I like to, um, over communicate with anyone I work with, um, yeah, and just really make sure we're constantly thinking about what we're actually doing and um, how to avoid any of the the things that you're asking about. So just to kind of summarize a little bit is like uh, you have a systematic approach um, and with your experience over, you know, 10 years and 10,000 tandem skydives, uh, you have an ability to sort of like uh, to deal with the distraction a little bit and or completely and um and then react with the passenger as they're you know maybe not trying to get you hurt but have you know out of ignorance you know or swinging their hips or whatever yep. right yeah yeah absolutely um so in terms of like actual parachute stuff i do my best to go through it systematically and then i 
I'm not afraid to, it sounds so silly because I know there's a lot of tandem skydivers that like will do their handle checks and they'll do it out loud. And it's just a way to get into a routine. And there's a lot of people kind of laugh about that instructor. And I was always that instructor as much as I was always wild and crazy and distracted by a million other things. I was also always like checking everything out loud. Um, I do the same on tandem base jumps. I'm not afraid to check my bridle routing and say it out loud, check my connections, uh, check the, the whole deal. Um, the more times you do that, the more you're padding the experience, the safety in your favor. In terms of like the clients, yeah, they're, they're trying, like I said, unintentionally trying to distract you from all the things that are important. Um, yeah. I mean, having been around parachutes for 18 years, having done over 10,000 skydives and a ton of tandem base jumps. Um, I, I like to think of it as like, usually pretty early on, they're going to show me what they're bringing, like in terms of their behavior, their fear, their anxiety, how they're going to project it, how they're going to behave. It's never going to ever, everyone's going to be different, but they're usually going to fall into a category. And I've got about five different categories and I can kind of size up what they're going to do and what is going to work best for me to help them. And so I kind of like natu uh, naturally, a lot of my responses to me, I watch the videos and like, I know exactly what I was doing. I know exactly why I said what I said. And it, it's almost a conditioned response um, because I don't know if it's the school teacher in me or, the, you know, sitting in Cessna's for too many years with just figuring out how to help that person through the experience. Um, yeah, it, it's it's a conditioned response and I, I know what hat I'm going to wear to help them through what they're experiencing. You said you worked in the fire department, um, for a brief stint. Mm -hmm. Do yeah. you feel like there was things that you got out of the fire Academy or working in the field that, um, you have applied to your life in, in regards to how you approach dangerous activities? Yes. Um, certainly. I mean, everything, Everything in my past makes me who I am today. Um, my my fire department stint was brief and it was also recent. Um, it helped me become more experienced with some of the medical stuff. Certainly not trying to um, overstate my actual metal, medical experience. But um, yeah, certainly. I mean, if you're going to spend a year responding to I don't know how many calls a day and seeing everything and anything. Yeah, it's going to help you. It's, it's going to make anyone think about doing everything differently. Driving your car drinking soda and certainly base jumping. Um, yeah, there, there's a lot that it influenced. Yeah. I think it would it'd do everyone good to see what those guys see. Um, yeah. When I started base jumping, um, I was fresh out of the, well, I guess, yeah, I was uh, working as a medic and I had been a wildland firefighter before that. And, um, I totally, um, borrowed from the fire service, uh, you know, just recently I got a new rig from Squirrel and um, I was happy to see that they're still sending out these five minutes for safety cards that I made. Mm -hmm. And yep. um, that was something that was, you know, pounded into um, all of us as firefighters is like uh, the watch out situations um, and uh, what can go wrong and, you know, visualizing all of the common dangers and whatnot from the exit point and and before that as well uh so the exit point was uh sorry the, um, the fire service was really um influential in the way that i approached base jumping and probably still does even though it's been you know 14 15 years now yep i think 
it definitely influenced who I am and yeah, how I carry myself in the outdoors or on base jumping, skydiving, whatever. Um, yeah, for me, it's a matter of like, it made me realize. So when you get into base jumping, there's this talk of how current you are and being, being current and current will make you safe, safer because you're practicing your skill. Um, but I also noticed it helped me notice that we get comfortable, um, risking more, right? So, um, the more you do something, the more comfortable you get with risk. Um, and you don't realize how much more risk you're actually introducing and you've just become too comfortable with it. And, um, it definitely applies to base jumping. Um, I'm just looking over this card again of, and it's funny because I haven't looked at it in a long time, but, um, yeah, that was number six is account for the double-edged sword of currency and complacency. <laughs> yeah. It's a double-edged yep. sword. Huh? It's a thing. You need to be current. You need to practice your skill, but understand, I mean, how many, God, how many current talented jumpers could we sit here and name in 60 seconds that are either dead or their lives are forever been negatively impacted by base jumping because they just got too comfortable with their craft and whether it be keeping up with their gear or um again just introducing so much risk that at some point it was just not sustainable i i don't know how many names we'd come up with but yeah skill and survival really don't have a whole lot of correlation um right i mean you need to be skilled um to a certain extent to to survive but then it becomes a double-edged sword because the more skills that you acquire the more novelty that you continue to seek because of uh you know these endochemicals that are released when we do it start to like not be as powerful from that standard flat and stable from a big, you know, X amount of uh, X high cliff, you you know, you got to start doing things that are more novel. You got to start trying new things. You got to do more and more and more to get that same hit that you had before. And at a certain point, right? Like I don't, you have to just sort of be content with other aspects of it for continuing to participate. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a tough phase to get to, I think for a lot of jumpers, um, I don't want to sound, yeah, I forget how I sound it. Um, yeah, it's a tough point to get because you kind of have to survive it in order to get there. Right. Um, either that, or you need to be really strong and maybe have lived a lot of life prior to it. Um, really be pretty heads up and headstrong, but at some point you like, you have to practice the craft. You have to get out there and become a base jumper, um, and push through that phase of checking the boxes and, um, yeah, becoming competent and, uh, also not get carried away with ego or, you know, silly mindless tasks that will, (laughs) that have no benefit. You know, you're now in, I don't know how many years of, in a career for sky sports and, uh, you know, 18. 18. Okay. And we're talking about longevity in terms of base jumping, survival and stuff like that. There's another element here of longevity and, you know, canopy sports, uh, being a professional skydiver, paraglider, base jumper, what have you, uh, can wear on people tremendously. I mean, the amount of people, friends of ours in common that have been burned out from doing tandems, from flying in the tunnel, from taking people on paraglider rides, it's the vast majority. Um, what do you think 
the characteristics that you bring to your career have made that different for you? Well, first, um, I don't know that they are different to me. Let me say that absolutely I've experienced burnout um, on things that I long loved, right? Um, tandem scouting to me was a blast for a long time. Now, man, <laughs> please don't make me, you know, like, <laughs> um, so I think mixing it up, finding a lot of ways to keep it interesting and don't do the same thing over and over and over because even if you love it right now and even if you love it in three years that day where the human brain is just not designed to do the same thing over and over and over uh, is coming it's gonna your brain's gonna recognize oh my god i'm so unsatisfied i do the same thing every day and the monotony just just it's a it's a heavy burden for especially the way that most jumpers are wired um sure there's we're all different, but like we have a lot of similarities and personality types and, um, yeah. So keep learning. Um, don't identify as don't, oh man, so many people are, I'm a base jumper. I'm a skydiver. And that is, that is their identity. Like they've given up everything else. Um, life is, life is filled with a lot of amazing things that uh that will make you feel awesome and have fun experience them all don't identify as i'm the wingsuit guy i'm the tandem guy i'm the i'm a base jumper i'm a skydiver um that's a in my opinion that's a that's a road that is you're you're gonna hit a rocky point you're gonna hit a point where i don't want to be on this road anymore i want to do something else um there's a lot of ways to have fun so don't be afraid to mix it up um yeah, that was um, the same advice yeah. that uh, Robbie Pesnik gave. He said, "Have some diversity in your life." I mean, talk about. I said it way better than oh, him. you did. You know, Love especially you, with your American <laughs> accent. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, like having uh, keeping things fresh and and not um, cross training, even you know, like uh, mm -hmm. and talk about somebody who's uh, who's well seasoned and still participating at a really high level. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah. I mean, that's great Incredible. advice from both of you. What is, um, what is, uh, some of the things that are keeping you, um, excited outside of base jumping these days? Um, so for me right now, I mean, I'm, I've got this new endeavor, endeavor of tandem based Moab, um, growing that and, uh, figuring out the, I feel like we've kind of thrown ourselves in the the forefront of that scene and um yeah trying to do it responsibly and uh, grow that but um that doesn't answer your question at all that's right back into um parachutes well i want to hear about um, that too to me. So, i want to hear about so that i'm mixing too, so it up we can why don't we put that on on the side and then come back to it cool yeah um right now I'm, I, I love being in the mountains i love hunting i sound like an old man but um i absolutely love it um most things that anything outdoors has always been kind of something that where I'm going to find my mind is most at ease and I'm happiest naturally. Um, so I focus on things that, uh, take me outdoors, love travel, I love being near, uh, the ocean. Mm, yeah. Um, my stinking dog, <laughs> the best dog ever. He's a full grown wolf, 15 pounds. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, man. I had a hard time, um, with work. I've been having a hard time with work lately, you know, um, covering the situation, uh, with Israel and Gaza is, uh, particularly draining. Uh, you know, I mean, I can't complain about my situation while the, the things that I'm seeing are just 
some of the most horrendous and it's truly a dark, dark moment in human existence. But um, washing my dog and, you know, hitting the vape pen and washing my dog for about an hour was like <laughs> probably one of the most therapeutic things I've done for myself in a while. Um, it's funny. It's amazing what a good pet will do for oh, you. It's so good. Um, yeah. What would you say is like one of your major struggles um, with your tandem base operation these days? That's a good question, man. Um, struggles. Trying. I want to keep growing it, but I want to grow it responsibly. I've been amazed how successful we've been. Um, and it seems that we are not yet at the max capacity, but I don't want to grow it irresponsibly or like recklessly. I'm pretty timid about working with other people and finding people that like, man, I'm, I, I, I'm not trying to sound smug, but I, I feel are fully qualified and also carry themselves in a positive manner, or at least are able to have that switch. I think I've always been a little bit of a puzzle to a lot of people because on one hand, like when I met you, it was like, man, that guy's crazy. He was streaking the bar. He was doing these crazy jumps, reckless. And they're like, yeah, he's a fifth grade school teacher. And then like someone would see me the next day and they're like, what? He's Mr. L right now. Um, anyway, I, uh, finding people that have that switch that can be base jumper in one moment and you know, professional guide in the, in the next moment. Um, let's linger on that for a second. Cause I think that's really cool. Um, I think a lot of people who are approaching the sport, um, maybe kid themselves that they have all the attributes. Um, and I think you as, um, a, a business owner who are looking to trust them, your whole life, basically at this point in their hands, probably have to have a certain certain set of attributes what what specifically are you looking for in people that work you work with um people that are self-aware they know what their actual strengths and weaknesses are um people that absolutely have the parachute skills people that are not in it to tell people that they are you know um yeah, I'm a tandem base jumper. It seems there's a lot of people. It, it's it seems to be a current fad or like a box people want to check, and that scares the bejesus out of me. Um, yeah, level headed or reasonably level headed, or the ability to, like I said, have that switch where okay, I'm not just a bro up here about to huck some sick jump in front of my friend. I am going to um, meet this person where they are, which is about to they are about to face the biggest fear they've ever had. And I'm going to figure out how to um, help them through the experience. I'm going to make them feel awesome. I'm going to make them experience absolute terror and then absolute like pride. Um, so parachute experience, just a uh, good communicator. Wait, um, you just brush over that one parachute experience. Is there a minimum that you're looking for in people that want to come work uh, at your operation? <sighs> You know, there's a lot of people that I've talked to in the last year. A bunch of people have approached me, and there's a couple of people that I've approached. Uh, I think there's one person that I've approached, actually. Um, so I like the numbers in my head of 10,000 skydives in 10 years around the sport. There are one or two people that have far exceeded those numbers, and it's like, hey, we need to work on this part of it. Um like I said earlier, numbers aren't going to keep you safe. I need to be able to like 
assess the situation as it really is just because on paper it seems right doesn't mean it's right um but the i mean the numbers i listed are kind of what i like to say um and then we can work from there i kind of have this visual of you like standing out in uh, mary's gash with like a bunch of like uh recruits and you're like hosing them down making them do burpees and stuff like that <laughs> <laughs> people, oh man, we need to make that are, video. People are ringing the bell yeah. because they can't handle Cash more, you're the gonna training. Hate me. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, I think yeah, most base jumpers want no part of it, and um, yeah, I understand that and respect that. And, so being yeah. switched on, having a bunch of experience under their belt, not only with under parachute, but time in the sport, and then an element yep. of empathy. Yeah, I think you may have said it better than me. Yeah, good communicator. Be able to understand that this is about them, not you. Um, yeah. Speaking of communicating, what is it like to be married to someone who base jumps? Um, most of the time, pretty awesome, man. Um, it, yeah, I like the way you asked that question too. <laughs> um, no what is it like to be married to someone that base jumps? Um, so these days, um. To be clear, I mean, she base jumps more than I do these days. I'm very much not in my prime in terms of like getting out, getting after it, doing the most cutting edge, badass stuff ever. Pretty checked most of my dream jumps off and experienced most of what I want to experience. Um, she likes to get after it and she just she's just happy to be out. She doesn't care if she's jumping with someone with 30 jumps or 30 years in the around base jumping. She just likes to be out. Um and I mean, I, that's the ever looming question is like, you know, what am I going to do the day I get the call? And, um, I like to think that I prepared myself for that. Um, having been around jumping long enough, I've lost best friends, roommates, um, girlfriends, lost a lot of people, like most people that have been around this stuff. And, um, so certainly it's something that I've prepared myself for never to imply that it's i don't know man. preparation only goes that? Like, so far i could never ask her not to jump because then she wouldn't be her right there's she's a, like she hopefully she's jumping just like the rest of us hopefully she's jumping for her own benefit her own happiness her own self-exploration um if i were to ask her not to do something she loves i've now forever changed the person i love um I don't know, man. It, it's a, it's a, I mean, shit. I, I think you and I talked about it and, um, yeah, Katie had an accident that I probably, <laughs> I, I should have lost her to, um, a number of years ago. Can you, can you describe that? Like the accident, uh, the accident yeah, or the, the Katie, <laughs> um, yeah, Katie, Katie went in, um, Man, that sounded weird to say. Um, yeah, she went in and walked away. And um, I got the call and it, she said, oh, no, I got the text. It said, I'm fine going to hospital. <laughs> and I was like, this is not a normal text. I think I'm going to pick up the phone and call. And then, sure enough, I did. And she explained she had an accident. And uh, she, yeah, she full on landed a wingsuit. And um went to the hospital and the hospital told her she's going to be sore for a couple of days. And, um, yeah, 
It was the hospital three, told her honestly, that she's going to be sore for a couple of days. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, that's the American healthcare you uh, you hear about overseas. Low. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um. No, I, I wasn't intending to reflect the hospital at all. It was. I mean, it's it's just a crazy situation. Um. Yeah, like I said, I mean, I've been around a lot of loss, pro- probably too much loss, and um. Um, that was one of the weirdest ones because I say it was the easiest, the easiest for me. And I think that's got to feel weird for her to, to hear. Um, all I know is that essentially I didn't experience, can, wait, I'm I sorry, didn't experience before you loss, go farther, can you explain that a little bit? The easiest one, which part, I mean, because she didn't okay, so, actually I mean, die. So Correct. Yeah. Um, by the, I mean, it was, it was all said and over by the time I even found out about it. Right. I wasn't on site looking for her wondering, why don't we see a parachute? Why didn't, you know, like I, I, I didn't have to deal with any of Thankfully. that. Um, by the time I got to my radar, it was, I'm okay. You know, I'm going to go get checked out. Um, for, yeah. Um, you know, every other incident like that, that I've ever been on, it's like, Hey, like I've got to go through this traumatic experience of potentially something pretty gruesome and scarring to the man, the fuck all that. I'll deal with that a hundred times over the, the, the worst is contacting parents, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, that's the worst man. Uh, looking a mother in her eye on mother's day and yeah. Um, yeah. Telling her son's dead. Like that shit sucks. <laughs> that's enough to make me want to tell everyone. <laughs> Don't face jump. Um, no, that, uh, with Katie, um well wait it's not just base jumping either though i mean because you both you and i worked with fire and as a medic and as an emt and that happens in all sorts of domains in life none of us are getting out alive that's for sure and uh it does low but i'm not saying that normal life is just as dangerous as base jumping i think general base jumping accelerates life. Uh, you get exposed to way more highs and you get exposed to a lot yep. more lows and all of us seem to come at this life with a little bit more. For example, when my dad died, I had more experience with death than anybody that, that was there. And it really put me like in a kind of uncomfortable situation at first. Like kind of, I had some self doubt because I was, you know, telling my uncles and I was coaching my mom and I was coaching everybody around me, people that were twice my age about what dealing with death is like. And, um, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. Um, I sort of lost my train of thought there. Sounded like you were kind of just saying like, I don't know. We, we experienced lost but so does everyone else or you know uh, like i said kind of none of us are getting out alive and i agree but i mean even at the fire department again not trying to overstate my fire experience um yes <laughs> we're, we're we're all gonna die does seem man i have no idea could you sit down and name everyone that's you've known that has passed in the last 20 years. Absolutely not. It, impossible. Absolutely impossible. Not. No. So like, it, and, and I can't say that to be true of anything else. Um, and, and, and yeah, man, it's like, so there's something I, I kind of know where, maybe where you were going with the, the story about your dad and it's, 
coaching other people. And, um, yeah, once you're around it, you kind of really understand the gift that you have, which is life, right? Like it's this, (laughs) these day, every day you wake up, it's like, hell man, I'm going to go experience something that puts joy in my soul and a smile on my face. Um, now it's me that's losing my train of thought. This is two old men rambling at each other now, Lo. <laughs> uh, two old bald men, to put it. Yeah, two concisely. good, two old, good-looking men. I agree. Um, why don't we add? Why don't we talk a little bit about? Because um, you, what you were going to say was that it, that that was the easiest one because you had prepared the yeah, most for it. it. One, well, hang on one second. The the reason that was the easiest was because. I experienced no loss. I experienced no trauma, right? I, to me, it was like, oh my God, I got away with a miracle. She got away with a miracle. We got away with a miracle. So to me, my life didn't change aside for like, I mean, she's one of the <laughs> those crazy stories that you hear about. And um, yeah, I, uh, so it made it easy versus all the other ones, you know, threw off six months to five years of my life. <laughs> um yeah. And, um, yeah, it made me more appreciative of her and happy for her. And, uh, I got to experience that in a new way, which it doesn't go down that way often, you know? Um, usually that's it. That's all. That's the end time for a new chapter and some hurt and some grief and confusion and stuff like that. And, uh, that wasn't the case. She came home and, uh, she got to keep going through her, her side of that. You said that you have lost partners in the past. Do you want to tell mm-hmm. me a little bit about that? Well, um, yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, if, if it's interesting, um, yeah, I'll, I'll forever shout their names, Katie Canal and Rami. I mean, Rami's I, yeah. the most legendary um, tracker of all time in base jumping. Yeah, you know, and I'll stop you there because we love that word. We love the word legend, and I've I've heard the word a legend a legend a million times in base jumping. He's the only one I'm aware of. That dude ran into <laughs> ran into sure death, you know, um, for a base jumper that had drowned in front of him, and he just followed her in. I think in the words of Adam Crumb. Uh, something like base jumping didn't kill Rami friendship did. If that's not like one of the most legendary heroic badass things that someone could say, you know, about you after your life, I don't know what is. Um, anyway, I, uh, yeah, Katie was someone that was special to me. We'd been dating for, uh, a while. And anyway, we have our story, which isn't to be shared here. And, um, yeah, man, that, that, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Dating a jumper comes with a, um, some emotional, all baggage. Of the normal. Emo- yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm trying to, I guess, say in a more complicated way. It's a lot of emotional uh, baggage and you, you know, we're all willing to put our, own self, our own body, our own being on the line when we base jump. It's a different thing when you're like, oh man, I'm going to have to deal with all of that. You know, when you're, when you're talking about dating a jumper and a lot of times it's whatever it's sustainable, it feels good. But when the day comes, it's a lot, it's a lot. And, um, 
anyway, I love Katie and she's nothing but inspiring to me and one of the strongest, smartest people I know. And, um, I'm just lucky to get to sit back and watch it. I mean, you've clearly moved on and, and are having a fantastic life. I wonder after being through that experience, if you have some experience that you want to share that, uh, maybe helped you to move on. You know, I thought I, I, uh, in terms of Katie and Rami, um, I thought I handled that great. And maybe I did for a month or three or six, but I became super callous. I became super hardened. I be, um, definitely dabbled with alcohol more than I should. The first thing I did was cut alcohol out of my life for a period of time. But that period of time went, I said, oh, I'm good. And next thing you know, um, well, I wasn't an alcoholic or anything. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but like, I definitely found myself using it as a crutch and didn't realize um, I was doing so for, for a long period of time. And, um, yeah, um, hold on to things that are positive. Man, the, the worst thing I did was become bitter and callous and angry. Um, I think I hit it reasonably well. But, um, yeah, no doubt, looking back, on it took me years to realize that it had negatively impacted me. I thought I had, I'd put on the strong face and I'd kept up the, the large image of being rowdy and funny and doing all the cool stuff I wanted to do. But, um, very much. I carried a lot of remorse and guilt and, um, stuff. So yeah, I, I hold on to the things that are healthy. Hold on to things that are positive. Don't be afraid to feel. Um, that's really good advice. Help. A friend of mine, um, just, uh, had a really difficult call and uh, she ran a, you know, pediatric code and that was unsuccessful. And, uh, I was like, uh, you know, sending her some text messages, like, and consoling her a little bit. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't feel like I'm someone that can give any advice, you know, like I just have my own experience. And, uh, one of the things that really like, uh, helped me now and helped me then was just like allowing myself to feel that stuff, just like allowing myself to be, um, cause like you, I thought I was good at it. I was like, oh, I just move on, you know, like, I didn't have a partner pass, thankfully. Um, that's a whole different scenario, I think. But, um, you know, there's a culmination of like being exposed to death and trauma and, and um, all the things that come with it, um, you know, that and on top of, you know, being a first responder. So it was like, oh, no, I, I do this all the time. It's not fine. And like you, it took years to realize that, oh, shit, you know, I'm not smiling very much. You know, I'm, I, I am sort of focusing on the darkness and, and, uh, did you do any, what are some like practical things that maybe can help people to like in, engage with right away? Like, did you go to therapy? Did you no. seek some counseling? I, did, did you, no, he didn't do any of that. No, I didn't. Uh, no, I pushed on through. I put the smile on. I kept doing things. And again, I think for a while I thought that by just carrying on with life, I was, you know, quote, being strong was the right thing to do. And really what I was doing was neglecting self. And um, no, I think it, it took honestly my relationship with Katie Hansen, my wife, um, to kind of open me up and make me kind of deal with some of the things that I was dealing with. And I think prior to that, I had just become hardened and was, I don't want to say faking it. I still felt like authentic, but, um, 
calloused, man, for sure. I had, uh, I was, I was putting on a smile and very much carrying a lot of guilt and shame and all that stuff. Um, no, I, I, here's what I'll say. Um, what I found about those times is nothing, nothing can make them better. Like when someone passes, there's no words, there's no thing you can do to make it better, except give it time. You need to trust that you will make it through that period of time. There are things you can do that will make it worse, right? Um, So that's what I know. You can't do things to make it better. You can do things to make it worse. Now, I mean, kind of like both can be true. Um, Yeah, sure. Counseling is going to be better than alcohol. So you can say that, you know, counseling will make it better, Matt. Maybe the words, what you have to do is stick around. You have to, you have to live that period of time. You have to be honest and authentic and, and feel and just go through the hard time. And it sucks, man. There's nothing worse than when I see someone, one of my friends going through that and like, Hey, just make it through this period of time because time will heal, heal this. It will, it doesn't make sense now, but time will heal this. And then there's the opposite where the, the negative things you can, you can get angry, you can get violent, you can, you can go down the, you know, drugs and alcohol route. You can, you can jump your face off and, you know, sure enough, we'll bury you in a couple of months also. Um, yeah. Stick around. Be find things that make you happy or that, you know, make you happy. For me, like I said, anything outdoors is going to make me happy. If I can go sit in the mountains, if I can go sit in the desert, if I can go sit on a beach, um, I'll see something beautiful that will inspire me to know like, Hey, a brighter day is coming. Um, but if I, if I dabble in the, <laughs> the, the, the hard inside of things, it's, it's, that's not a road that's going to be serving. Yeah. Self-serving. I don't know. Yeah. Ever, I think everyone's different. And, um, unfortunately base jumpers are a pretty unique, interesting mindset that, yeah, we just got to go through, the highs, the peaks and valleys kind of thing, you know, the highs are high and the lows, man. Yeah. They're rough. You said earlier too, that there was like a common thing about our personalities as jumpers. Do you have any examples in mind about what Hmm. makes people or how can you pull someone out of a lineup? That's a base jumper. Well, they'll tell you, but after that. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, not really. I think I'd end up rambling, but like, okay, just, yes. I mean, we're, we're a subculture of subcultures, right? People that most people, if you look at a cliff, like, wow, that's beautiful. Now you get to the top of a cliff and they're immediately going to back away and say, uh-uh. And then you explain to them that what base jumping is and like what we do and try to make it sound like rational and beautiful. That's absurd to 99.9% of the population, right? Um, so, even if we're two totally different types of jumpers that are, you know, take one that's living in a van, insane, selling pot, and one that's a successful doctor, just like these two totally different people, they are of the same subset of, you know, like, yeah. Um, I don't know. We're definitely challenge. We challenge the, 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 the normal grind, right? The, um, I think most of us are, are pretty willing to question routines and, um, do things differently. Um, maybe not so willing to settle down into, um, just normal jobs or, um, routines or 
a lot of us, you know, didn't get married at 18 and have kids at 18. Um, there are jumpers that did and do, and that's all fine too. But again, most of us tend to deviate from norm, whatever that is. Yeah, um, I, I guess think you're that's right. probably the biggest commonality. Probably, I think we'll, we're all sort of willing to risk it all to have a special life, to to have these special life experiences. Agreed. I think most of us would rather just experience as much as we can and actually, yeah, firsthand, like real life, like, whoa, holy shit, there I was this, or just have amazing stories. Like, you're not going to believe this, this story. Let me, let me tell you verse. Yeah. The yeah monotony of, we have some shared some pretty nine to five awesome stories. And, uh, we, you were talking about Mario earlier and, uh, you know, for the other people there, we had this weekend where we called it yeah, we did. attack the fishers and yeah. we had all of our friends that came out highlining on the fisher towers uh we had parachutes climbers and climbers speed wings base jumpers yeah man that was a great event nice work one of the highlights for me was when mario landed on mm-hmm. top of the fisher towers uh, yep me too and I think that you were one of the guys that went, attempted it right before him. Am I wrong? <laughs> Correct. Yeah, I wasn't going to say that because I was going to sound like a colossal douchebag. <laughs> but <laughs> um, I remember, again, being a young jumper and having heard he was going to do it. And um, he was awesome. And yeah, I, I did. I went a jumper or two before him. And I was like, well, fuck it. I'll give it a go. And um, I did. And I was committed and committed and committed. And <laughs> sure enough, I got you know, right there. And then just turned away the last minute. Wasn't right. Wasn't, I mean, Mario had properly prepared for doing that. I was just all ego, all I can do it. And then like, Nope, I'm out. (laughs) Well, um, give yourself a little bit of credit. I think you laughed as you pulled away. Like (laughs) (laughs) that sounds like what I would have done. Like, yeah, Nope, I'm faking it. Um, so God, Um, I feel really bad. Um, it was Ellen and I for sure that jugged up there Mm -hmm. and someone, um, Someone had set uh, static lines all the way up, thankfully. Yep. I don't yep. remember who it is. And man, I'm sorry because that's a lot of work and I was really appreciative. <laughs> uh, we got up there and, um, you know, it's like, it's not a, it's not a big area. Um, I would say it's probably like a, a landing area that at the very most is like 12 feet, 13 feet long, something like that. And yeah, Kingfisher proper. Yeah. That was Mario's landing area for sure was. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good estimate. People seem to crash into the boulder field now. Um, it seems to be like, okay. Rite of passage these days. And you're, yeah, it's going to be interesting the day that there's a rescue up there. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's been repeated, but, um, he did it with, um, so much style. Correct. And like there was some preparation style, all of it, execution, all the things, all the things, Mario. Yep. And then, you know, repacked at the top and then hucked a gainer, of course. Yep. Um, But one of the things that I sort of didn't expect, you know, and, and learned from that was like, oh, there's all this lift on the face, you know, like you guys are coming into land on the sunny side of the cliff or the tower. And there was all this lift and he knew 
that there was going to be a lift when all a bunch of lift when he arrived. And so he came in low. So like almost like the nose of his parachute was like in line with the landing area. And, you know, if there had been no lift, his body would have just, and everything just smashed right into the side of the tower. <laughs> but then just at that yep. final moment, the lift picks up and the whole thing picks up and he boom flares and lands. And it was just, oh, I mean, it was spectacular. It, it was just, Absolutely, oh, man. Cheering. You could hear yeah, the cheering from the 13 exit. 13 years point. ago. I think that made all of us proud. I feel like we all experienced it almost as if we did it. Because <laughs> most of us were in some way like, yeah, we were friends with him, but we were fanboys of him too. <laughs> like, and there was like, he was the type of guy that you wanted to root for. You know, like what he was doing was impressive, but he didn't carry himself like it was impressive. He just was doing what he wanted to do for no other reason that than that he wanted to do it and he had done all the you know i don't know i i remember hearing rumors of how many times he had practiced it and flown right over top of it and right by it and um yeah did all the work yeah you know not just i, I mean i'm convinced, uh, hey, i'm gonna put all the chips on the table yeah. you know he was no i'm gonna do all the work i'm sure that yeah. he didn't do it then on purpose like he would have done that he could have done that and not told anybody and been totally fine oh. with it and I think that that's something yep. that's uh, that's full of class. Um, it was just it just happened to fall on a period that there was just a bunch of people out there, and yep. So it was like, yeah, that was a great event. Oh man, man. it was so fun. Um, one of the only things I think that saved us, you know, like because uh, we were all going pretty hard, um, and it just like the whole day was getting harder and harder, and you know, people were ripping speed wings through, like barrel rolling around yep. the towers, and. And the base jumps were happening and it was just like, it seemed to like pick up this momentum. And at the end of the day, it was like, whew, we survived that one, you know? And then it snowed. Yep. <laughs> I remember that Perfect. too. It was like, everyone, Perfect. all right, enough. Get yeah, out of here. Exactly. <laughs> this is going to end poorly. <laughs> yeah. That was a great event. I've long talked about doing that one again, but I f- kind of feel like that's one of those chasing your tail things like it, it was just a magic moment don't try to recreate it sure you can do it again do it but don't don't try to make it what it was because that was just a magic time it man. was a magic time less for me. jumpers and and for, yeah for younger all of us. in my career and yeah for sure is there any um jumps outside of that event or um that you look back on and like smile about how amazing this is is there anyone that sticks out in particular? Like any one jump? Yeah. Um, it might even be a trip. Oh man, those days, the um right there in that era. That was I mean, I had moved from the East Coast to live in Boulder, Colorado because I I thought it was close to Twin Falls. Turns out it was like an eleven and a half hour drive. I didn't do that research and I just moved to Colorado. Um, thought I was going to go to the Prine every weekend. Realized that was not an intelligent thought. And um, yeah, became pretty competent in uh, just road tripping around Colorado and Moab those days. I wouldn't trade for anything. That's what I want so many young jumpers. God, who says that? The old jumper. But um, yeah, like so many jumpers are trying to check everything off and experience everything and post everything. It's like you are experiencing what you're going to look back on as like one of the most magic times of your life just enjoy it just enjoy it like the road trips the laughs the friends you meet the silly stuff the stuff that pisses you off like the things that go wrong the jumps you don't get to make that is the magic 
Um, there's something special about like when you decide, yes, I'm going to become a base jumper um, and then actually start to live it um, is one of the most liberating, special, unique experiences I know of. And certainly that I've ever, I've ever experienced to like just be content and go through it and don't don't try to be the man. Um, I'm, I'm way off now. I'm just ranting. But uh, I uh, for me, it was yeah a lot of the early days in Moab, man. I was you know, 2008 to. 2012 was a special, special time here for me. Um, I think you named a couple of the ones. Yeah, I loved aerials, aerials at that point in my life. So there were some beautiful ones and there were some <laughs> ones where I almost went through the top skin of people's parachutes. And Didn't you and I jump with a hang glider once? Yes, were you on that load? yes we did. I think yeah. so. Yeah, that's right. That was super crazy. That was off Mary's. Wow. And, was, uh, I almost forgot that. Yeah, that was pretty wild. Yeah, man. That's right. Yeah, that was pretty crazy because we were able to essentially be like in free fall and then he peeled away from the cliff and you're just like, is there just an airplane in free fall with us? Who, who was on the glider? Yeah. Was that was that Diego? That, no idea. Diego? Oh, yes. I, I think it was Diego. Yes, it was Diego. Yep. Yep. He launched it off Mary's Gash and we all just ran with him. Yeah. Dude, that guy was like an institution for me in Moab. Like he was like, uh, he was the anchor, you know, like, uh, he was friends with Ellen. And when I first arrived, like he, man, he know he knew how to like show us around to all the really great spots and loved his approach. And, and he was one of those guys that flew all sorts of contraptions, you know, he flew all yep. the toys, real special time for me. It's as well. funny. Yeah. Jumpers like that are so influential, you know, like that's not why they're doing it, but like, I don't know. That's kind of the way I've talked about Mario and the way you're talking about Diego, like these people that like <laughs> just show you the blueprint of like, not only how to jump sustainably, but kind of like a way that you can admire, um, just in a way that present themselves and carry themselves. And yeah, those people are super important. And I've always been, super appreciative of yeah jumpers that you can kind of look up to and admire and yeah it's awesome kind of yeah there's something special about our sport you know um i always kind of like grimace a little bit when people say oh i'm in it for the people you know like there's plenty of sports out there where um you know the people are pretty cool like mountain biking the people are cool yep. um hunting i'm sure the people are cool you know jujitsu the people are great um you know if you're just in it for the people there's another sport where you can do it there's this element mm -hmm. of like camaraderie um that comes from being a part of something i think that's like so exhilarating and dangerous that that builds some special bonds and it's Definitely. like this uh mentor relationship that you can develop with some people too that that help you find the way um that you that is pretty rare um and i mean it was kind of it was one of our motivations too or for starting this podcast is it seems like you know so much time and so much wisdom was learned around these campfires in Moab and other places. And, uh, those people like Diego and, and rich Webb and Mario, uh, had so much to share. And I feel like as the community grows and the participants grow, the circumference of those fires are only so big. So there's so many, only so many people can sit around and listen to them. And, um, yeah, now we can, you know, broadcast it to a, in a, to a small little niche group a little bit more and, um, passing on that wisdom, um, with each of our guests. Yeah. Well said. 
Well, um, we kind of got a late start, and unfortunately, I've got to call it uh, a day. Matt, cool. it's been a real pleasure chatting with you. Um, you shared some really nice insight, uh, shared some vulnerability about loss, and uh, and also some really inspirational things of what uh, we should all look to achieve through our path in Bath. So thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man. Always good to catch up. Stick around. <laughs> <laughs> you have to come visit. It's now that I'm learning that your brother's in France, not too far away. It's Let's make it happen. I will make you regret that invite deal. (laughs) (laughs) We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have any thoughts about what you've just heard, please don't hesitate to hit us up. A big shout out to Mark Stockwell, our sound mixer and co-producer. We love you, man. If you'd like to learn more about the podcast, please visit exitpointpodcast.com. See you on the next one.